What do you say, everybody? It's Mick Gillespie, and I'm so glad to have you here for the On the Floor podcast. I want to remind you guys to go to where you get your podcasts, whether that be Apple or Spotify or wherever, and like the Bama Insider channel and subscribe to the channel. Give us a five-star rating. We're going to be on here talking Alabama basketball. We'll be talking Alabama football. we got all kind of content for you that surrounds the Crimson Tide. And we really appreciate you being part of our channel. So that's the Bama Insider uh, spot where you pick up your podcasts. And we'll have uh, this show will come on once a week throughout basketball season with all the other content. He's Tony Sukos. He's the beat writer for the Crimson Tide that uh, works with us on Bama Insider. And he's Luke Ratliff, also known as the Alabama. I'd say, what are you, Luke? What are you? The Alabama super fan kind of guy for basketball. What's your what's your uh, your 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 handle? You could call me that, but uh, my official title is I'm president of the Crimson Chaos at the University of Alabama. Oh, so you're El Presidente, huh? That's it. That's me. <laughs> well, glad to have both of you guys here uh, to talk a little bit of Alabama basketball. So, Maui Invitational's over. Uh, start with you, Tony. Your thoughts on Alabama's performance. Well, you know, I don't think this is the two and one that Alabama was necessarily hoping for. But I, I think if you would have told Alabama that they would have left uh, the Maui Invitational at, at two and one, you, you have to take that look. It, it wasn't the start that Alabama wanted that that blowout to, to Stanford was a little bit uh, disheartening to watch. But, I, you know, if you look at the way that the team rebounded off of that. Uh, I think it showed some character and I think it, it showed some promise. And and look, some of these early losses like that one, that, that can be a building block. And I think, you know, listening to Nate Oates the last two days, it seems like he was able to kind of get that across to his team. So maybe this is a, a, I don't think any loss is a good loss, but maybe that loss to Stanford was a, you know, as good of a loss as it can be because it, it allowed Alabama to to learn about itself a little bit. Look, if uh, I've got to introduce you to Luke as uh, Fluffopotamus88 on Twitter because I'm going to call you Fluff. Um, but you're the president of Crimson Chaos. I loved it when Alabama loses the game to Stanford, and and there were a lot of naysayers, and you were quick to jump in and say, "Hey, hold on a second, it's one basketball game." That that's exactly right. You know, it seems like, and I think football has an adverse effect on basketball in this sense because. Uh, you lose one game in basketball, and it seems like you hit, our pets' heads are falling off, right? Because, you know, football is accustomed, our fan base, to losing one game is the end of the world, basically. You know, your chances of going to the college football playoff diminish in the sense because you lose a football game. But in basketball, it's different, and this is where our fan base struggles at because of the success of our football program. One basketball game isn't going to kill you. You play Typically, you play 32 a year minim, minimum, uh, but and you, you're going to lose games. That's the thing. That's the sport. That's the beauty of it. You lose games, and sometimes you're going to have a clunker, like Alabama did against Stanford. And it's tough trying to get this uh, fan base to learn and know that things like this happen. And it's all right. And a loss, one, two games, one loss, two games into a 27 game season, isn't going to hurt hurt you or diminish your chances at the uh, NCAA tournament, especially against a team that's as good as that Stanford team was, the top three team in the Pac-12, I say. So uh, it's it's definitely – this is where Alabama fan base has to learn and has to adapt to the sport itself and understand that, hey, one game's not going to kill us, two games aren't going to kill us. Uh, so that's where we're at there. 
Not say, and both of you guys can jump in. I, I think there's a frustration with Alabama basketball fans. You know, it's like we we kind of get built up for these seasons. You know, we we've seen some really good talent come through. I mean, look, you know, back to back years with a lottery pick, and then in the signing period, Nate Oates has done a great job. You know, he's he's got a five star coming in. Like uh, this team has depth. They had some guys transfer in that should be able to score. And then we get into these games and, and I guess everyone's so hyped up and then, you know, they have a problem scoring in that first game and then they figured it out in the second two. Um, but it's like you almost have to win a couple of these games early against. And as you said, it fluff, it's like you got to win against these like name schools, because if 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 you maybe Providence is a better basketball program or, or maybe not. I mean, I guess Stanford is, but you know what I'm saying? You got to almost win a couple of these like title matchups, these big bouts, uh, not necessarily being how good your team is or how good that team is, but it's almost like you got to win the battle of the name recognition. That's absolutely right. And it, it all builds towards your postseason resume. And I, that's where, uh, you said that coming into the game, or t- Tony said that coming into the show, rather, uh, going two and one in the Maui Invitational, that is a stacked tournament, a stacked tournament that big names every year in college basketball, nearly every team that's in it gets into the NCAA tournament in some sort of way every single year. Uh, this is where Alabama coming in two and one, winning, although they lost to Stanford, Stanford's a really good team, but you have good wins against UNLV and a very, very good win against Providence, who is going to be a contender in the Big East Conference this year. So looking back on it, it's not it's not the end of the world, a loss to Stanford going two and one, albeit in the consolation bracket of the Maui Invitational. Going two and one is not a bad thing because you put yourself, you put your team on the map and with a win against a very good Providence team. I think I'm going to speak up uh, for those Alabama of maybe casual basketball fans that that their pets heads were falling off. Look, I think from that perspective of, of the person that is just coming in and watching Alabama basketball, you know, it seemed like the same thing that they were expecting every year. Look, Alex Chico, the five-star guy, comes in before the season, gets that season-ending injury, and then they come in, they 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 do a clunker against the the best the the first real game that they played. And so I think that's why you saw it. Like you said, Luke, there's so many games, you know, to look forward to. And and what you gotta realize with this team too is the fact that it's you know, it's a really new team. I mean, they still gotta learn each other, but I think when you're looking at it, there's a tendency to look to the past and this thing, you know, before this rebound that just happened, this has kind of happened to Alabama basketball. Is that, is that fair? That's that's a very fair statement. That's a very fair thing to say. And that's a good perspective to have, uh, honestly, because I think that's where most of our fan base is, especially when it comes to basketball. They've been scoring so many times before that it's just at the very first sight of adversity, it's the automatic thinking, uh, oh, here we go again. It's happening again. When in actuality, it's not. In, in past uh, coaching administrations, in past uh, years of Alabama basketball, this may be true, but this year you saw uh, last year statistically what NATO's team can do, and it's uh, uh, it, it's it's remarkable. You can see it on the floor. You can see on the stat sheet how it shows up. It may not show up in the record, uh, speaking of last season, but Alabama, of course, you know, Top five in the nation, tempo, three points, uh, attempted three pointers made, adjust, uh, 
adjusted tempo, offensive efficiency, these sort of things uh, main, uh, that aren't on the face for the new Alabama basketball fan or the casual Alabama basketball fan. And uh, it's, it's up to them to learn. It's up for them to know about going forward before they make a quick judgment based off of past experiences with Alabama basketball, which we know are <laughs> cannot be very good at all times. But uh, <laughs> Uh, they have to make that judgment and say, hey, it, it feels like it, but I have to realize it's not. It's it's just a game. It's it's one game in a new coaching staff and a very talented team on the floor. Yeah, and you know what? John Petty, what is he, like a 10th-year senior? I mean, like he's been around forever. And he's the kind of guy you want to have on this type of team. You know, you got, you got some young guys, you got some transfers, and then, um, you know, John Petty's like – you know, 22 against UNLV, 16 against Providence. Uh, he had 14 against Jacksonville State, only seven against Stanford. And I felt like that was where Alabama kind of fell off. Maybe they're relying on him a lot here early uh, to score the basketball, right? But some of these other guys are going to eventually start to take maybe some of that role. But it's good to have him on this team again. And I know he's like he's really a four-year senior. But, I, but it feels like he's been on this team forever. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean they're gonna yeah they're gonna rely on, on on John as you know look he's the most most accomplished player on the team right now and he's kind of the guy that that you know is the older guy is the veteran too um, but th- there's a lot more depth though on this team Mick and I think that's really what sets this Alabama team apart from other teams if you're if you're an Alabama fan listening to this and and you, you were ready to give up I think this is the reason why you don't is this team is different because of its depth. There is so much more on this team than just relying on John Petty. If John Petty has a bad game, there's other guys that can come in now off the bench and, and provide that scoring. And and look, the thing that when I if you're looking about you know four year seniors, I mean, look at Herb Jones. I, I think he, you're starting to see a little bit of a offensive improvement from him. And man, if that happens, comp- you know, combined with his defensive effort and just his ability to kind of just be the glue guy of this team, um, that could be that could be great. Look, we saw. Uh, last game against Providence, Herb was, you know, he was doing a pretty good job of running the point when Quinterly left the court. Now, now there's some turnovers and he's not a, a perfect point guard, but that was the most encouraging thing for me. So really, you know, yeah, Petty, they're going to lean on Petty, but there's people now that, that can kind of take over on, on offense. And when the stars aren't doing well, there's guys that can step in. Absolutely. And this is, this is what I've said for a long time. It's, it's obvious looking back at games, uh, uh, looking back game logs for the past four years that John Petty's been playing for the Crimson Tide, the team goes as 23 goes. If he has a good game, the team typically wins or at least has a strong showing. In the first two games of the season against Jacksonville State and Stanford, we didn't see very much of John Petty. We, he, didn't, he made one three-point shot against Jacksonville State, if my memory serves me correct, and was basically non-existent except for the first four minutes of the second half against Stanford. And that's where this team he has he show, the team shows up when he shows up. I think about games his look going back to his freshman year uh, against Auburn and Tuscaloosa. Al, Auburn had won fourteen games in a row and uh, playing without Colin Sex and John Betty stepped in and filled the ro- role. And Alabama won that game handedly. I think about twenty eighteen or the twenty eighteen nineteen season in Tennessee. Uh, although Alabama lost that game, they were down 19 at halftime, and they came back into it because of the play of John Petty, because he was the star on the floor and he was the leader 
of the team during that game. The same can be said for this year. The team will go as John Petty goes. And if he gets into it, and although there's such great depth on this team, there's, you know, what, there's 12, 13 scholarship players, and realistically all of them get good minutes. But it goes as John Petty goes. When he gets, when he's, gets going, when he gets into a rhythm, we've seen it against UNLV in the first half, we've seen it against Providence last night. When he's shooting the ball well, when he's facilitating, the team plays well. And that's going to be a key for the tie this season. I'm Mick Gillespie. Great to have Luke Ratliff. He's the president of Crimson Chaos. Tony Sukas, he's our, our beat writer for Alabama Sports on the uh, Bama Insider channel, whether you're watching him on YouTube, you're reading his stuff online at BamaInsider.com, or you're listening to our podcast. You get a lot of Tony on there as well. Guys, who was the biggest surprise to you so far? And I know we're, we're talking about a small four-game sample, uh, but who's the player that you're thinking, okay, this guy has come out, he's off to a really good start, and I want to see more of him. I'll start with you, Tony. Yeah, so I, I kind of already gave mine away, but just watching her kind of evolve into more of a complete player, that to me is what's going to separate Alabama from being good or, or great. Uh, because at times, you know, last season, he was such a liability, you know, on the offensive end. And I think this year, if he can just add anything, I mean, look, he already has three three-pointers. He had one last season. I'm not saying he's going to be this three-point shooting threat, or just, but if he's just at all capable on the offensive side of the game, uh, I think, you know, he could be a real big leader on this team. And then my other guy, um, I don't think anyone's necessarily surprised by this, but, um, you know, Josh Primo, man, he, he's going to be a spark off the bench. And these last two games, he's really shown that ability to to, to hit some big buckets. And 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 I, I like his hustle. I, I like a lot of things about him. And I think he's going to be one of these guys that as the season progresses, I mean, it's going to be hard to get to keep him off the starting lineup. But when, when Nate Oates talks about like, Oh, the, the best players might not be the starters. I think Josh Primo is one of those guys that you, you kind of highlight in that, in that statement. Absolutely. And you can't talk about this team without talking about Herbert Jones and the way he's played this year. Uh, we know what a great defender of the basketball he is, but he's taken it upon himself. Like you said, Tony, to be a more round, well-rounded offensive player. Uh, whether it's you know hitting jump shots or taking it to the rack, which is what's really surprised me is how well he's been able to to finish at the hoop this year and get to the hoop and finish at the hoop. But a, a player that's really he hasn't played very many minutes, but speaking of defensively, it's really impressed me is the play of Keon Ellis. He's a doesn't have many points on the season, but man, can this guy play defense? He can he can lock his defender up very well, and I. Uh, I'm very impressed with the way he's played in his limited minutes this year. Yeah, he's guess- one of those guys when you're when you're looking, it, he just jumps out on you just like certain plays. I mean, it, it, if you look at the box score, you're not going to see it, but if you're watching the games, he's always he's flashing across the screen. He's he's making plays. I, I I've really liked what I've seen from from Kean Ellis as well, and um, he's another guy. Like Alabama didn't have that kind of guy off the bench last year. It, it, now they do, and I think that's a huge difference maker. Yeah, and I'm thinking that if Alabama can play defense this year, that they should be able to score. Obviously, that wasn't the case against Stanford, but you know, like there's got to be a better defense on the court to be able to, you know, when you don't have the great shooting game, still figure out a way to win. And and I'm guessing that that's where you know his play is really going to help this team. Yeah, I mean, can I? I, I 
Ken Ellis, I mean, um, he, he's going to be he's going to be great. Like like Luke said, he, he just provides that kind of spark, that athleticism. Uh, Nate Oates is finally getting the guys that fit his system. And you got to you got to remember, he came into this team and kind of had to work with he with what he inherited. This team has really transformed this offseason and it, it really fits his system, his identity. And that's the biggest thing, too, is when you look at, you know, they did a good job of, of adapting to his system, you know, but it wasn't perfect because he didn't really have the right pieces this year. It's going to be interesting because I think he's got more of what you would call a NATO team at his disposal. Absolutely. You look at just the sheer athleticism of the guys on the, the guys on the team. Now uh, everyone has the ability to play the way that NATO wants to play in his four out, four out, five out offensive system. And it's, it's it, we're going to see more and more of it as he starts to get more and more of his types of players into the program. And that's this year is going to be a very we're going to get a very clear picture of what he wants to do at the University of Alabama. So compare where Alabama's program is now as to where it was when Nate Oates took over. You know, we went from buckle up to blue collar basketball. I'm, I'm just, you know, for the casual fan, like w- what's the difference right now? I mean, I'll go with you first, Luke. Well, I think we've I've talked we've talked the whole game about that, or not the whole game, the whole show rather. Excuse me. Uh, I mentioned it earlier about how you can see the difference on the floor, the athleticism of the team, how the team last year uh, and leading in this year, of course, was near the top in the country in pace of play, tempo, three point percentage, three points taken, uh, stuff, stats like that. Uh, the four out five out system NATO runs is more adapt to what the NBA is running nowadays. This is a pro style team now that NATO is building in Tuscaloosa. And not only just the team, you mentioned it right there, Mick, uh, talking about the blue collar basketball mentality. This is the culture that he's implementing in Tuscaloosa. Uh, you can see it in players like Herbert Jones, who's just guys who are just grinders and just. Uh, they die for every loose ball. They always have a hand in the passing lane. There's, they play with such great energy on the court. This is what Nadeau is doing that Alabama has lacked for a long time is a culture and an identity to go along with a potent offense and a very athletic team on the floor. Hmm. Yeah, Luke took the words right out of my mouth, identity. I mean, uh, look, there's a reason why if, if you're a recruit that you want to play for Alabama – now there wasn't that you know since for the longest time since i can remember like why would a top recruit want to play at alabama now they've got a reason they're playing in an nba offense um it's fun it's fast paced and it's going to be successful i mean like the the, nate nate oates is you know reputation precedes him he's it, it's going to work once he gets his system going. And I think if, if you know, you're starting to see these young recruits, these, these, these five-star J.D. Davison kind of players, they want to be a part of that. And I think that's the biggest difference now is just Nate Oates in such a short time has created identity, created a reason to want to come to Alabama. Look, Alabama, you know, you can be an Alabama basketball fan, but they're not a blue blood program that that's going to be – necessarily just inheriting these these five-star players for, for no reason. You've got to build a, a pull factor for these guys to come. And I think Nate Oates in two years has done that. He's created one of the most exciting systems. You're seeing recruits from all across the nation really considering Alabama because it's such an electric style of play, and they're, they want to be a part of that. 
What did you guys think about other teams from the SEC? Did you get a chance to watch any Kentucky? They looked impressive in stretches. Uh, maybe Tennessee, they're a team that's ranked right now and a pick by a lot of people to win the SEC. And, and how do you feel like Alabama style will you know match up when they see the Tennessees and Kentuckys? Look, I'm going to defer to you because I've been caught up with football. I've only really been able to watch, uh, 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 really to a certain extent, uh, Alabama. So I'm going to let you tackle this one. Yeah, it's still early, and uh, I'm, Kentucky it looks really good. And obviously, uh, it's going to reflect uh, all the preseason uh, rankings and standings and all that. Uh, Kentucky and Tennessee are clearly the top of the classes here in the SEC, and uh, they've set themselves out. Uh, Florida is right there as well. Uh, as far as that, it's the SEC this year is a very top-heavy league. In, in talking that it's Kentucky and Tennessee and maybe Florida, and then you've got two or three middle teams that you don't really know about, Alabama included, and then it's everyone else. And I think it's – like look at Mississippi State this year. Mississippi State lost a bunch of players, but they got a bunch of, good, a bunch of grad transfers – not grad transfers, but a bunch of transfers in general, a bunch of big men. They brought back – uh, they brought back Abdullah do about say Robert Woodard, excuse me. They brought back Abdullah do, and they have clunked it up this year. They are, I mean, they look awful. Like my my apologies, to anybody that's listening, it's a Mississippi State basketball fan, but they are very much not good this year. No apologies needed on this podcast. Yeah. But you look look around the SEC. Everyone's sort of I don't want to say it's been a struggle. Missouri shocked the world last night, beating number twenty one Oregon. Uh, Last night, Missouri did Kwanzaa Martin's team. They're they're going to be a you know a formidable opponent. But look at LSU. Uh, LSU lost to St. Louis, who comes from a very good Atlantic Ten conference this year. Well, and St. Louis was missing two of its starters. Uh, in the same, no one's this year. No one is is you know is absent. Is I can't think of the word. No one is. Uh, safe this year, really. Look at Kentucky. Kentucky lost in Rupp Arena to Richmond by 12 points where they didn't even make a single three-pointer three the entire game. No one's safe this year in the SEC, uh, but you can say that Kentucky and Tennessee, of course, they're more safe because they're just more experienced, and uh, or Tennessee is more experienced, and Kentucky has just incredible talent again. But no one's safe this year, and it's up for the taking, the SEC is. Well, I'd say this. You talk about Calipari's uh, Kentucky team. You know, they lost to Richmond and then they 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 battled with Kansas. I mean, they could have beaten them. Right. And I feel like every year I watch Kentucky when they have a lot of these young teams, they lose so many guys and they're not that great at the beginning of the season. They play a lot of really good teams. And then at some point, it's like they just come together. Right. And I'm kind of hoping that maybe that's the case with Alabama. You know, maybe they can do the same thing. They, they play some games. Their schedule is not as tough as Kentucky's. You know, they don't have Kansas on the schedule. Uh, they did play, uh, you know, in this Maui tournament, but they didn't play any ranked teams, you know. So, the, and, and looking at the schedule right now, uh, they do have 10th ranked Houston. I mean, this can change a lot, obviously. 13th ranked Tennessee and Kentucky's ranked 20th. But that right now is it as far as like blue blooded programs. Kentucky's it, you know. Um, what I will say is that they've got Clemson coming in next game, and that's on December 12th. So they, they've got some time off after that tournament. Um, is is Clemson a powerhouse? No, they're three and zero at this moment. Um, but it's a good name 
for Alabama fans. It's like, hey, they're playing Clemson. Like, who cares if Clemson's the worst team in in you know basketball? That's a football name, and for whatever reason, I used to talk to Wendell Hudson about this all the time. The uh, you know, I, I guess I could call him an Alabama Hall of Famer, right? I mean, his jersey's on there, but it, it, but uh, Coach Hudson used to talk about like you know he's coaching women's basketball. He says I gotta I gotta get a couple of these football schools so that everybody's going okay. You know, we're playing these guys or or big names. You know, like we'll put Kansas on there. You know, we'll do this and that because it it kind of catches the attention of the Alabama basketball fan or that maybe the casual Alabama fan, I should say. Alabama plays Clemson. That'll be a home game. That's next up. And Luke, you'll be there. I mean, you're 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 a student right now. You'll find your way from North Carolina right back for that basketball game. You're exactly right. Uh, I have to correct you here. That game is going to be played in Atlanta at the uh, Holiday Hoops uh, Hoops Giving uh, Invitational Tournament, whatever they call it. I think they're calling it MTE now, a multi-team event. Uh, that game will be played in Atlanta. But Alabama does come back. On the fifteenth against Furman, I believe it's Furman. It's either Furman or East Tennessee State. No, you're not make me look it up. <laughs> it's either Furman or East Tennessee State. But that whole thing over again in Atlanta. <laughs> You'll be there. It's even closer for you coming from North Carolina. I I would like to be there. They haven't uh, released fan information. This is just this is just what's so crazy. It's 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 a crazy season. You've got to embrace the crazy things that happen. I believe in my opinion, but I will be, of course, at every home game. Uh, I'm looking most forward. You talked about just a second ago, Mick, uh, game against the top 10 Houston Cougars team that just outclassed and outplayed a really, really good Texas Tech team uh, in Kansas City, I believe that game was. But that's the one you look, and I don't think you're giving us enough credit, Mick, for having a good schedule. Alabama has got – they play anytime you play in that Maui Invitational, you're going to play three good teams no matter what no matter what stack you're on. Uh, maybe not be this year. They they didn't look very good, but they're a good rebounding team, a very good defensive team. Right. But Alabama's schedule this year, and this is every year in basketball, it seems, is one of the toughest in the conference, out of the conference schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the toughest in the SEC. And it's no different this year. You got very good um, Furman team coming in. Alabama played Furman last year, of course. Uh, it, it was a very good game. Alabama won by 12. Uh, but it was a very good t- game. They have really good players. And then you, just the class of class of them all, Houston, that's the one you have to watch. That's where you're going to get, no matter the result, if it's a close result or if you're on the winning or losing side of it, that's where you're going to see how far this Alabama team has come in basically a month since the season started, you're going to right. see what they're capable of. I think well, if you can beat OU in there, sorry, Tony, OU, another one of those football schools. That yeah. Play but I, that's a good one too, though. Yeah. I think if you can beat this, this Houston team, that's when the, the excitement will really skyrocket. I mean, look, this team's ranked number 10 in the nation, you know, Alabama fans see that. And I think, you know, that the, the excitement's going to just, spike after that and and who knows i mean look like 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 i said earlier this is a this is a team that's still gelling that you know even some of the players that are returning they were out all season last year um with with season ending injuries you know javon uh juan gary and james rojas you know so they're they're essentially new guys as well when this team starts gelling together they've got about as much talent as as some of these big time top 10 schools so 
uh, if they're able to, to to play together, if they can knock off a Houston, I mean, boy, the, the momentum after that is, is in my opinion, just going to skyrocket. Yeah, and got, I, I'd like to add something on that right quick if you let me make up. Yeah, go ahead. You, you mentioned it there. There's still a bunch of new guys. There's, and we talked about earlier in the show how the, this team is so deep. They're really – every scholarship player could get minutes this season. And we have to keep in mind that this is the team's – many of these players' first bit of game, in-game action of their careers. I mean, Javon Quinterly didn't play for over 500 days, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he comes back. Obviously, he jumped into it with both feet. But think about James Rojas, who was out last season. Jawan Gary, who's never played the game. Keon Ellis, who played in junior college. He's got to get used to Division One basketball. This Nate Oates is still trying to find a workable rotation. We've seen it last night against Providence, where Alabama only played eight players, and they and they won the game very handedly. They outclassed, out rebounded, out defended outshot a very good Providence team uh, with veteran players like Nate Watson and David Duke on the team. Uh, Once Alabama, once Coach Oates finds this rotation he likes, it's going to be a more cohesive unit, a more, uh, a a better communicating team and a better, they're going to have a certain rhythm to them. And we just have, these are growing. The first two games uh, we mentioned before, of course, the, upsetting loss to Sam Stanford by 18 points and that first half against Jacksonville state, these players are still learning to play with each other. And we have to keep that in mind as the season goes along and everyone right now, if you're listening, circle that Houston game, because that's the true test to see where this team has come in just a short amount of time. As we get thrusted into the SEC schedule, which is no, there's no slack this year in the SEC schedule. You guys remember uh, Phi Slamma Jamma? You know. Oh yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're going to be coming to town. <laughs> hey, look, what I want to know right now, Luke, is with Crimson Chaos and the whole COVID situation. What are the restrictions that you guys are dealing with right now? And as the president of of the group, basically that supports the the basketball team, uh, how tough has it been to kind of organize having people at the games and stuff? And how many are you allowed to have? So this season, normally uh, for well, for most games, we'll have around twenty five hundred students, and that just that, that fluctuates per each game. Our cap- our capacity is just around twenty five hundred, so that's been cut down significantly this year. That's been cut down at the same rate as the rest of the arena has, the rest of Coleman Coliseum has. So we're at fifteen percent capacity, and that's roughly three hundred ninety students this year, uh, which is a big change, but. The biggest problem for us as an organization this year was find was two things: finding out how to get students into the game, how to get them tickets, and which way to be fair about it. And which we have, and I believe we have a very good opt-in system, uh, much like football has. But there's no limit to the amount of games you can go to, and uh, students are awarded tickets based on classification. So seniors will get the most, and then. A junior sophomore and so on and another thing is i it's hard for us we've had to overcome challenges in how we communicate as an organization with our public with our students and usually we would hand them a flyer give them a t-shirt or uh, be on campus 
with signs and stuff, being the Ferguson Center, handing out flyers, or even at the game, they were all, all of our students were there. I could just yell things in their face. And <laughs> that, was our, that was our messaging strategy for a very long time. But this year it challenged us because we can't really do that anymore. Right. COVID-19 and the restrictions we have from both the university and the Southeastern Conference. So we're having to be creative and come up with new ways to communicate with our students. And still, this is, this is I think this is the most Alabama basketball thing ever in that excitement for this program has never been higher. And we can't, <laughs> we, we have a worldwide pandemic on our hands. Right. So we have to try to, it's our goal to try to keep that excitement level as high as possible, although we cannot physically communicate with our students. Wow. Well, Tony, uh, any final thoughts? What are you working on right now? Anything that you want to pass on before we uh, wrap this up? Yeah, from a basketball standpoint, you know, uh, I am working on a, on a piece on Keon Ellis. It's going to be a while until I can reach the people I want to reach, but kind of keep your eye on the peripheral for that. And, you know, um, we're going to go on a little bit of a basketball hiatus, but we'll be back. Uh, and, you know, like like we said, we've got some big games coming up, too, with, you know, especially keep that that, that Houston games scheduled, because I think, you know, that, that could be the one that could really be the turning point in this season. Fluff. What do you got going on, my man? I right now I am in the throes of fucking dead week and finals week, so I am very very busy doing schoolwork right now. But uh, also we, as uh, uh, some of the things I mentioned before with the Crimson Chaos, we're trying to arrange some things, arrange some experiences, virtual experiences uh, for our students that can't come to the battle games because of COVID restrictions. But we got a lot of things uh, to work organizationally. And, but we hope by the time students come back in the town, it's a much, uh, a much more seamless uh, experience for our students, both at the games and at home on the couch. Awesome. Well, he's Luke Ratliff, and he's Tony Sukos, and I'm Mick Gillespie. Again, thanks for catching us on the open floor. This is our weekly Alabama basketball podcast, and I'm Mick Gillespie thanking all of you guys for joining us and reminding you to go to the Bama Insider podcast channel and like, subscribe, and then know that we're going to have this. We got a lot of football podcasts. We got the Bama Insider Tailgate Show. Tony's on a lot of times. Go to BamaInsider.com to get all the latest recruiting news, football, and all of Tony's stories. And then when you're watching the game or if you're a student, you better swing by and see Fluffopotamus and Crimson Chaos and, uh, and catch him too, or you can follow all of us on Twitter. All right, thanks, guys.